0: Welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor Podcast, a show dedicated to teaching professionals and entrepreneurs in the MedTech field how to save more money, pay less taxes, and become financially independent. Join certified financial planner, professional, Matthew Nelson, as he draws from years of experience and speaks with guest experts to solve the biggest challenge, aligning your money with your values, while thriving in the mission-driven world of MedTech.
1: Hello. Welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast with your host, Matt Nelson. Matt, good to be with you. I understand we're going to be taking a look at your market
2: outlook for the year. That should be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to this episode as well. The last, last episode, basically, we were talking about some equity compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, we had a series going on restricted stock and restricted stock units. Right. And we'll, we're still going to come back to that, but I just thought this was kind of timely, so that listeners could kind of hear this maybe in the late January, early February timeframe. And today, I've got with me my partner Matt Finley, so everybody gets to meet him. And it's you know if you remember in a in, uh, past episode, we talked about how he joined me a few years ago, and we've just uh, become create this kind of symbiotic relationship. He runs the investment portfolios and t- handles all of the economic outlook and. And a lot of the technical details on how we set up the models, we'll sit together and and do you know some investment committee work. But uh, I figured today we just kind of treat it as a bit of an interview. And uh, <laughs> and you know, frankly, Matt, you wrote a great article that's out on our blog post, and so that's what kind of prompted this, just our, our outlook coming up. So we'll go through that. But anyway, welcome to the show, Matt.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me,
2: Bill. I'll throw out something just a little tidbit about Matt. He actually started out his career in this in as a scientist so kind of in the science background
1: oh well that's a lot more common than a lot of people would think and there's yes. a lot of people with graduate degrees in science that end up going into quantitative analytics yes <laughs> the financial markets
2: no I, I love it and and actually I, I think that contributes to just his understanding of a he's kind of got an engineering type brain and in and, and the science brain and so mm-hmm. I may be on the more emotional side and Matt kind of keeps us tempered so that's that's a good good relationship that goes on there. Good yin and yang going on. Good. Yeah. We try. We try. That's right. Well, good. Well, so I think what we're going to do today then is is um, you know, we'll look at just what we're thinking for the upcoming year. Um, you know, I, I like that Matt tends to try to simplify economic concepts for our clients to understand. We're not going to get overly detailed. We're going to try to keep it high level and really we just from an investment philosophy standpoint i want to emphasize that we're not talking here about should you be timing the market or jumping in or out we'll talk about how we do things later but this isn't just in general it reinforces what we're doing we tend to stay invested for the long term we just Mm -hmm. may sometimes take a little bit less risk or there's times when it feels uh, like it, it, makes sense to take slightly more risk, but Matt likes to say a foot on the gas or a foot on the brake, you know, what what sort of phase are we in right now, but anything you wanted to add, Matt, before we jump in and I start peppering you with questions.
3: I think the big thing on that is, um, you know, we look at, we like to look at long-term economic data, not short-term issues. Uh, and so that allows us to have, you know, really that long-term investment view. You, you mentioned that we stay invested and that's true um there's not a scenario where we go to cash in the whole portfolio and when we have a long-term bullish setup we want to take advantage of that and same thing when we feel things are exhausted and we try to stick to history to data and and what's going
2: on yeah good well so let's let's jump in we like i mentioned we, this is kind of modeled off of the the article you put out as a as a market overview here at the end of the year so you know you started off talking about really there's kind of three points you talked about A focus on inflation there's some optimistic areas we're looking at for 2024 and then there's also some risks we're monitoring and so you know let's just start with the the inflation piece of it what what did you mean when you you kind of talked about we have of the focus is still on inflation
3: so obviously inflation's been the story now since 2021 Uh, And 2022 is where the market certainly responded to that, specifically because of a very strong increasing inflation environment and the Federal Reserve's interest rate policy towards that. Just real quick, while interest rates go up, the Federal Reserve tends to want to increase, uh, I'm sorry, as inflation goes up, the Federal Reserve wants to increase their interest rate to try to slow that down. And so a really high inflation environment over the last couple of years, the Federal Reserve raised rates at the fastest pace ever. uh, And that certainly affects the stock market and the bond market, housing, you name it, anything tied to interest rates. The end of last year turned out to be extremely strong fourth quarter in the markets. And that was because the Federal Reserve had shown that they were going to stop raising rates and are going to begin reducing rates in 2024.
2: How's so, that playing out so far, Matt? That part. Yeah,
3: so you know, 2023's fourth quarter was one of the best fourth quarters in the history of the stock market. S and P, the Dow, pretty much everything rose during that time, including bonds. And so that's in anticipation of the Federal Reserve reducing rates in 2024. Now there's a discrepancy on on what the Fed Reserve is saying they want to do for rate reductions in 2024 and what the market's anticipating. And that that could be a reason why the start of this year has been a little volatile, pretty flat so far, could potentially go down for a little bit, but the stock market is extremely efficient. And So the second the stock market is anticipating something, it's going to price it in, sometimes within minutes, oftentimes within two or three days. Yeah. And so that's what fourth quarter was. And now we're here in first quarter with the first potential rate cut being March uh, or possibly June. So I think the stock market this year is still going to be focused on inflation, but really focused on the Fed reserves policy towards that inflation.
2: Sure. Okay. So, I mean, the, the trend is still continues to be down. I think targets are around 2%, maybe you were saying earlier,
3: Correct. So the Federal Reserve has a goal of 2% inflation, and that is on something called the PPI, Producers Price Index. Uh, What we typically see in the general news or financial media is something called CPI, Consumer Price Index. And while they're similar, they're not the same. CPI currently is sitting at 3.9%, so still quite a ways above the 2% threshold, but it is trending down and we'll probably start with a two later in this year. Hmm. PPI, on the other hand, is already in the two range. So there's not a significantly further move that has to be made to meet the Fed's target.
2: Got it. So the, so how are we going to get there? I mean, is that is it going to be mostly Fed-driven or is the market just going to find its way?
3: That's a great question. Um Certainly inflation is reducing as some of the excesses are burned off over the last few years. Um, And that's a whole different conversation that we could dive into. The trend is definitely lower at a steady pace. It's not a fast paced lower, which I think is actually comforting. Um. While we rose really fast, we've been dropping a little more steady. And to me, that means it, it's a little more real. And that's going to give the Federal Reserve the room to begin reducing rates. And of course, the way we see it is there's a couple of reasons why they're going to be able to reduce rates. One is because the data is coming back, that inflation is coming down to meet their target. And we can have what what is termed a soft landing. That's what the Federal Reserve is trying to accomplish. Whether we believe they can do it or not, that's what right. they're trying to do. <laughs> The other reason the Federal Reserve would have to reduce rates uh, would be if we have economic problems, a recession as an example. If it gets bad enough, the Federal Reserve will want to step in and try to boost the economy, and they'll do that by a few mechanisms, but one of them would be reducing rates at a much faster pace. Stock market's actually anticipating five to six rate cuts this year. The Fed is talking about three. So the stock market's anticipating some issues ahead versus what the fed reserve is maybe a little more Goldilocks and sure. what they're trying to accomplish if that sure. makes sense and and I'd I'd say I'm closer to can't believe I'm saying this I'm closer to what the fed thinks is going to happen than what the stock market's going to think you know is going to happen but there certainly are we'll talk about there certainly are some risks ahead that we need to watch
2: okay yeah so basically as we're alluding to the market's really a prediction machine you know, prediction machine. And so it's just, it's efficient. It's going to interpret the data. The stock prices tend to already be moving in the direction of what's predicted because it's a voting machine.
3: It's a giant voting machine. And, um, you know, the rule of thumb is four to six months ahead of time is where the stock market runs. And that's certainly played out here with the uh, interest rate conversation almost to a T.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We have that conversation a lot with Clients that are worried about risks uh, at the present day and the present news. And then we have to step back and say, is that possibly already priced in? You know? So, well, let's let's move on to, you know, so that's the inflation side of thing, the the focus, but we have some optimism ahead. And you alluded to some of that, you know, at the risk of being redundant. We've got market valuations was an area we wanted to go over. So what are you thinking about market valuations? And when we say that, clarify what market you're talking about.
3: We tend to to stick with the S&P 500 when we're looking at the broad market or valuations. It's a good representative of our economy on the stock side. While market valuations are high and they certainly in the fourth quarter got maybe a little too high, prior to that they were they were really within range of the long-term norm. And that can be debated because it depends on what time frame you're looking at. If you want to look at a 10-year, you want to look at a 50-year, certainly if you look at an 80-year window, everything's really high. But in modern times, so which, which I would classify from the Reagan era through today, so early 80s to today, we're not that highly valued uh, in the stock market. There certainly are stocks that are very highly valued. And for that reason, you can look at historical data and see that while returns might not be outrageous over the next few years. It's not pointing to negative returns just because valuations across the entire market are so high. Sure. So that's what I was pointing out. And also reminder, I wrote this article mid-December before a a good part of the market run up, which changes valuations
2: on a daily basis. Sure. Okay. So if I just kind of reinterpret that a little bit for for listeners, what what you're saying is Look, sure, you can point to there's all kinds of data that will point to, oh, the stock market is overpriced. And of course, after any period of run up, they come out of the woodwork. You know, the prediction machines come out, just everything's going to crash, you know, buy all these protection assets because it's all over. But I think what I'm hearing you say is while it could feel high, we're kind of within range and, and maybe don't expect just giant returns, but we're not looking at big crisis on the precipice of any crisis at this point.
3: Yeah. That's what valuations would say to me today. And again, data that somebody wants to present is always about the denominator they use or the numerator. And you can manipulate the data to tell your story. And I think we see that on financial media all the time. And sure. I try to wade through that and have some logic. Most of our clients aren't investing for the next hundred years. Therefore, hundred year data doesn't really apply.
2: Uh, yeah, there you go, Bill. There's the there's a scientist uh, coming out there. <laughs> Definitely, your data.
3: <laughs> and the data, the data matters. Like what time frame you're looking at and the history of it. And so that's where I I don't personally feel valuations are. They're high, but they're not ridiculously high. On top of that, and I think what the the bigger driving force is 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 corporate earnings in the S and P five hundred. We just went through a negative earnings year, and Again, the stock market priced ahead of that to a certain degree, but if you look historically, the stock market tracks corporate earnings growth pretty closely over the long-term. And so that's a big factor that I do like to look at. Corporate earnings are expected to be healthy this year, while analysts, which I would put you know, bunny ears around that, are predicting 11% growth for the year. I think the reasonable earnings growth would be in a five to 7% range. Mm. Based on a lot of the uh, economists I like to follow, not just the everybody out there. Uh, and I think that's more reasonable, but that's a healthy growth. And that doesn't mean the stock market will grow 6 to 7%, but company earnings are growing. And if company earnings are growing, then the stock market will grow. As long as we're a, a growing economy, we're going to have a growing stock market.
1: So you, yeah. you sound like, man. it sounds like you're saying basically we're we're going to see gro- you expect to see growth in the market, just not the kind of crazy growth that we've seen over the last, you know, especially the last year where, you know, we had double digit growth. My Correct. question is, my question is, though, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this, is the lack of breadth of the growth in the market? Uh, and you know, people are saying, "Well, it's focused mainly on a handful of stocks—literally a handful of stocks." Do you see the? Do you see that breath expanding? Do you see we, us having breath? I guess is what I'm really asking.
3: Really, really great question. Um, I see that as a positive moving forward. Um, oh, good. What, what I mean by that is, we didn't see significant par- participation in the other stocks of the stock market. Right. It doesn't mean they were negative last year because I believe the remaining 490 stocks of the S&P 500 were still positive around 10%. Mm -hmm. The top 10 drove the S&P 500 to 24% returns. The Dow was at 13.5% return last year. And that would be more uh, of a symbol of the 490 stocks in the S&P 500. (laughs) And we did see that breadth improve in the fourth quarter. Again, if, if interest rates drop, that becomes a tailwind for interest rate sensitive investments. So you're, the rest of the market is much more interest rate se- sensitive because they hold more debt to run their company. Mm. So as rates come down, that should really help the stocks of those companies to improve because their debt cost should go down, their profits therefore potentially can go up. And that should reflect in their earnings, which should reflect in people investing in the company or being having more appetite to invest in that company. So I do believe we'll have greater breadth ahead. It might not happen first quarter this year, but I believe by the time we're talking a year from now, we'll see better breadth in the market.
1: That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great, actually. It's
3: needed for a long, sustainable yeah. market, right? It is. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yep. Yeah. well, okay, so I mean, maybe that actually might be a good segue into some of the risks that uh, that we're monitoring. I know one was, as we look through the article, you know, a strong but slowing job market. And so speak to that a little bit what you're seeing there. yeah,
3: so we've we've seen a trend, um, an ongoing trend of uh, the job market deteriorating a little bit. The question is is if it is if it's enough to be of significant economic impact or if it's just a natural cycle. It appears for the moment that it's more of a natural flow because there's actually some good data underneath. We have one of the highest participations in under 35 employment that the country's ever had. What's driving the unemployment likely to go higher here in the coming months is that 65 and above, it has one of the lowest participation rates in our history, which makes sense. We, we've of seen course. a lot of that age group say, enough's enough, I'm done right? Yeah. And that age group also participate in the greatest economic expansion the United States has ever had. So they have more nest egg to be able to make those decisions. The troubling factor is we're seeing a deterioration in the full-time jobs and a lot more having to hold two jobs scenario. And so that falls that- into the next topic, which is the pinch consumer. Mm. So if it's harder to make the dollar. And the cost of goods are significantly higher, which we know they are. Since mid to late 2021, general CPI inflation is up 19%. But if you look at shelter inflation alone, most people are paying in some cities as much as 50% higher over that same time in just their rents.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. In fact, I think maybe... Something we're seeing right now is in the auto market. And so, because interest rates have come up so dramatically here in, a, in such a short period of time, the a common loan rate now might be double digits, 10, 12%. Even if you have stellar credit, 800 credit, you're still getting a 7% auto loan. And right. that's completely different than just a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, and that pinched consumer idea. I mean, man, if you've got the uh, the general, we'll just say, um, you know, the, let's just say the typical wage earner that's just trying to buy a car to get to work and, th- you know, having a 12% interest rate, that that takes a lot out of the pocket to buy other discretionary goods. Correct. And
3: if they don't live in a house because they can't afford the 30 year mortgage on a house today, they're having to rent. And if rents are, even if they're 30% higher, That's a significant amount. We all know energy costs, whether it's uh, gas to heat your house or electricity to turn on the lights is significantly higher over the last three years. And then food, if you have anybody more than yourself to feed, it's a significant impact on a family. So we've actually seen consumer debt at an all-time high on a dollar basis, but on a percent basis of total wealth by consumers, it's still at historically low numbers. Certainly off the bottom of you know because coming out of COVID everybody got their COVID checks and they couldn't do anything they couldn't travel so right so people were st- the like historical savings level well there's still a trillion dollars in savings in consumer accounts right now Man, wow. so we're not quite at that precipice where it's a big concern but there are pockets of obviously concern out there
2: sure well actually you mentioned all that money in the the savings accounts interest rates was something we we're going to talk about you, you had talked about it as a risk. But what made me think of it right there was if people are finally earning some money on their savings accounts, isn't that a good thing? Like, I don't like, tell, tell us why the interest rates are such a risk.
3: It's a good thing. If you're getting paid 5% on your money in your bank again, which we are now for better part of a decade, we were paid almost nothing, but not if the cost of the dollar for everything else is like you were just mentioning on a loan is higher than that. Sure. Sure. So what consumers really need is for interest rates on debt to go down, whether it's their credit card, a car loan, a home below what they're getting on their dollar. And that's you, you can only achieve that by locking in a two, three-year you know, CD at your bank or, a, or US Treasury because as rates come down, so will what they pay.
2: Sure. Yeah, that's true.
3: But the interest rate risk I was talking about is um, if inflation stays sticky and the Fed doesn't reduce rates. Or doesn't reduce as fast so i mentioned earlier that the market's kind of pricing in around six rate cuts and the fed is talking about three so if the if the market's at six and it's already kind of hyped up six but we only do three the market has to price that back Got so it, that creates right. a that creates a risk in the market
2: back to that voting machine idea so they've, the correct. market's already voted the the price is up and then oh no that's not true let's pull those back
3: correct yeah, absolutely correct. And Dr. Kelly at JP Morgan, he's brilliant economist. You know, he's talking as much as 150 basis points or 1.5% reduction, but their target is 75 to 150. So that fits right in that Fed is at 75 and the market's at 150 essentially. The market's actually pricing in a little more than that now. Interesting. Um, but somewhere in there is what they're what they're projecting. I tend to believe that. Of course, I have other reasons why I think The federal reserve is going to really have to reduce rates in the the near future but may not quite be in
2: 2024 yet okay well to be continued on that i guess correct goes without saying there's some obvious geopolitical disruptions happening now and this has been we crossed the year mark i think recently didn't we with with the major upheaval overseas talk to me about that i i I think in the article you included a chart which was super interesting it talked about s p 500 sell-offs around geopolitical events yeah
3: Yeah, obviously it's a big headline risk that our clients do get concerned with. A a war going on with Russia, Ukraine, now Israel and Gaza, other wars that may happen through time. And the reality is the market prices that in very fast and recovers historically. And I try to explain to clients that the world still goes on, right? So companies still are selling iPhones and food at the grocery store and people still have to buy cars and pay their electric. So the companies continue to run, whether there's a war or not, it may disrupt supply and demand or the cost of things. And so that's the primary reason why the market may on headline fall off very fast, and then it turns around and recovers very, very quickly. On average, Within twelve days, the stock market, U.S. stock market, has recovered from every war since the seventies. That's
2: significant.
3: Correct, and of course, the biggest one there, um, the nine eleven attack. Well, that's still recovered within three weeks. So something on on our soil, um, and the stock market recovered from that. Now, that doesn't mean long term whether you're in a bull or a bear market, but just the recovery from that event. So we don't want to not have an you know not acknowledge the geopolitical risks out there, but history gives us a guide at how much we should be of concerned or not. Sure. Yeah. Same thing Uh, with elections, but we won't go into elections. Well, you just
1: going to (laughs) say, you don't have to go into them, but I was going to ask you, this is an election year. Correct. So, I mean, there has to be some kind of election risk factor in this. There is
3: in an interesting way. Everybody gets Sensitive about their candidate winning or losing, and yeah. if your candidate's losing, you think the world's you know going upside down. I want to sell everything, but the data shows us that virtually every presidential election since Lyndon Johnson, the stock market goes up from election day to the end of the year. So that's your risk. You're going to miss out because you're emotional. Mm. And so what we like to tell our clients is uh, elections matter, but they don't matter necessarily if the market's going to go up because we're a growing economy. Therefore, the market should over the investing period go up. It's a matter of where the market goes up and that can be politically influenced. And that so influence. sometimes we we make some adjustments
2: based on that.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: It, it just comes back to what we tell clients all the time, which is, you know, look, we're, this isn't a game. We're just, we're allocating money to some of the best run companies in the world that are, their whole purpose is to provide a product to, to consumers. Maybe they improve the world. Maybe they just are there for profit. Either way, they're well-run companies with generating cash and that's what you're investing in. So if you just put that framework in your head and stop thinking about all these other factors that we talk about, let us worry about that kind of thing. And just think about it as, is you're putting money in a company whose sole purpose is to make profit and over time, you know, it should return on your investment.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, Apple sells phones, whether Trump was president or Biden was president. That's right. That's
2: right. So it not be it, a political choice. Exactly. It's not a political decision. So, well, this has been excellent. I tell you what. I mean, I, I honestly, Bill, I, I learn stuff every time I talk to Matt. Which is, you know, I'm supposed to be like running this show, and I'd really half the time I I gotta <laughs> ask him for the answers. So, just because we're on a little bit on time here, I think we could wrap up. But my question really is sort of a so what question. So this is this is helpful information to know. But for our listeners, you know, for our clients, like what. What does this really mean for their portfolio, if, if anything?
3: I think it means be invested. Stock market, ten out of or eight out of ten years historically is up in any any ten year window. There's a lot of good tailwind building things. And while we don't think 2024 is going to be this ridiculous great return year, you should be able to get return in bonds and stocks this year with reducing rates. That should be positive for both as a U.S. investor. So I just recommend stay invested. And at the very least, if you have cash, you're afraid of go and get that CD at the bank while it's still a 5% for two or three year payout. Yeah. Um, Cause that's probably not going to last as
2: rates reduce. Right. I think, and it's a, it's a good point. I would add in there, make choices driven by your goals. So if you have a goal that says you're going to need cash in the next six months, 12 months, maybe even 18 months, a lot of what we discussed today is just not that relevant because it really should not be invested in in vehicles that are at risk anyway probably something at your bank that's guaranteed fortunately CD rates are up interest rates on savings accounts are up that's probably where that money should be that short term money if you're not speculating if it's longer term money this is sort of a nice to know conversation maybe gives you some some comfort that we have a reasonable chance at, an, at advancing a portfolio this year if you're invested. Of course, anything can happen. Who knows? But just follow your long term allocation, just stay after your goals. And that, that's really the point of this.
3: Exactly. I mean, most people didn't anticipate 2023 to be a positive year. And look how it turned out. Um, that's right. You know, we did not gloating or anything, but we were just looking at the economic data and thought that, of course, we didn't anticipate 24% either. But we thought things were building in 2023. We thought things were building the end of 2022 actually and we still think that they're building in 2024 there's always going to be risks out there but there should be some positive tailwinds that would mean you want to stay invested in both bonds and stocks in 2024
2: yeah very good well bill i think that kind of wraps up where we want to go i mean i'm 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 super glad matt's joined us on the show and we're going to have him back. We'll probably get into our investment philosophy, I suppose Matt, we'll we'll go back and forth on that a bit. And uh, anything else you want to add before before we close out, Matt? I'm good. Appreciate right. the time. Yeah. So, I guess I guess that's the that's the end of this episode, you know, as far as just the market outlook. And um, you know, if you want to learn more, you can you can head to our website perspective 6 It's the number mm-hmm. 6. Matt's articles out there on the market outlook and uh, you could download that. We've got some other information there as well. If, if you wanna just reach out to us and and have a chat or a second opinion about your situation, you can call us at 952-225-0333. Um, happy to talk to you.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Good conversation. And, and, you know, market conversations and market outlook conversations are always interesting because there is a very real dynamic at work in a market about where we're gonna go and what, what, what might happen. And um, Matt, you're right. Nobody expected that in 2023, suddenly bonds would return to rally and stocks would also rally at the same time and we'd end up with the kind of returns we had. So, you know, I'm encouraged by your feeling and belief that we're going to see more breadth in this market because it has concerned me that, you know, this was a market standing on some skinny legs, if you will. So it'd be nice to see the foundation get a little stronger. Hope you're right. I hope you're right. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thanks for the conversation, guys. Listeners, thank you for the time today and listening up to this conversation. If you are not a subscriber already, I would encourage you to go ahead and subscribe. It's easy and it's simple. That way you don't miss another episode of this podcast. On behalf of Matt Nelson, And everybody at the Perspective Six Group, thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm the producer, Bill Tucker, wishing you a great day and reminding you that you have a choice. You can go out and make it a great day or not. It is your choice. Have a good one. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the MedTech Wealth Advisor Podcast click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.perspective6group.com or give us a call toll-free at 888-591-9770 or locally at 952-225-0333. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Osaic Wealth, Inc., and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Investment Advisory, Insurance and Financial Planning Services offered through Focus Financial Inc. Securities offered through Ozaic Wealth Inc. Member FINRA forward slash SIPC. Ozaic Wealth is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services mentioned here are independent of Ozaic Wealth.